Hello there, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2, I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start the show, Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up since they're in Quebec, they will open up with the hometown boy, Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn would come down to the ring, and Quebec would give Sami Zayn so much love that Sami couldn't speak for four minutes. I mean, they were just raining and showering him with applause and ole and just giving him so much. Um, when Sammy finally got the mustard to just welcome everybody to Raw, out would walk the Judgment Day to surround the ring. Sammy would speak French to the Quebec uh, audience to hype him up, but he would tell Judgment Day that he didn't come here alone. Now out would walk Kevin Owens. This is Kevin Owens' uh, first time being back on Raw in a month. So Kevin Owens would come down, make the save, and Kevin Owens and Sammy would beat up the Judgment Day and clear them from the ring. And Kevin Owens would challenge the Judgment Day to a tag team match later in the night. Any member of the Judgment Day to face Kevin Owens and Sammy. Now this would lead to some backstage segments throughout the night of Judgment Day trying to figure out who of the two was going to tag. And the usual suspects was always Dominic. Dominic was always going to be in the tag team, but was it going to be Finn or Priest, so that was the situation, and it will come up to a point that Rhea Ripley would have to make the decision who's going to be teaming up to, in the main event, because Finn and Priest just couldn't get along with each other. Now, we will find out in the main event, but I'll get to that when it's the main event time. The first match of the night would be the New Day going against Drew McIntyre and Matt Riddle. New Day would win the match by pinfall when Riddle was crawling over to Drew McIntyre, but Eric of the Viking Raiders would yank Drew off the apron. The referee wouldn't see this. Xavier Woods would tag in Kofi Kingston. Kofi would hit Trouble in Paradise on Matt Riddle to win the match, so New Day would win. After the match, the Viking Raiders would attack the New Day from behind. They'll beat up on New Day, they'll beat up on Matt Riddle, until Drew McIntyre would get in the ring and he would beat up both members of the Viking Raiders and throw them out of the ring, sending them packing. Now... We still have no idea what they're doing with Drew McIntyre um, because late in the night, New Day would talk to Drew and Matt Riddle. Drew would try to tell Riddle that he doesn't know what is going on right now. He doesn't know why he's even teaming up with Riddle at this moment, why the Viking Raiders are even doing what they're doing. And you can kind of tell that Drew wants to kind of distance himself from Matt Riddle and try to go back to singles competition. Matt Riddle would plead with Drew not to do so, they're two and one, and he knows that he wants to get his hands on the Viking Raiders, and he knows Drew wants to get his hands on the Viking Raiders for costing them a tag match against the New Day. New Day will interrupt, New Day will tell Drew not to end his team with Matt Riddle, they have good chemistry, they had a good match with um, them earlier in the night, and that when they are done with the Viking Raiders next week, why not run this match up again? So... Drew would fist bump the New Day. Riddle would cover their hands with uh, his hand and say, paper covers rock, being corny. And it seems that we're still keeping with this Drew McIntyre and Matt Riddle team together, but it's going to end bad. Drew McIntyre wants to be on his own. You got to see he's trying to be the nice guy and try to slip away from Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle isn't allowing that to happen. So I think Drew's going to do it his own way and just probably just beat the crap out of Matt Riddle. We're still waiting for that to happen. 
because I don't think this good guy Drew's gonna last any longer because he's had his course, he's ran his course, and I think it's back to uh, it's time for Drew to get back to being a uh, badass. If I'm gonna be completely honest, and I think everybody that's watching Drew would say the exact same thing. Now we move over into our Intercontinental Championship matchup: Champion Gunther going against the challenger Chad Gable. Chad Gable would win the match by ring out when him and Gunther were fighting outside of the ring, and Gunther would go for a chop. Gable would duck it, and Gunther would hit the ring post. Gable would then grab Gunther and German suplex him over to the timeskeeper area. And then as the referee was counting, he's at the count of nine. Gable would run into the ring and beat the count, and that's how Chad Gable would win this match. Now, however, with this being a championship matchup, the championship does not change hands. They never change hands on uh, ring outs or disqualifications, only by pinfall submission. So the champion still is Gunther. Chad Gable, however, does make history by being the first man to defeat Gunther on the main roster. And they're talking about Gunther's main roster uh, run. They're not including the Survivor Series uh, match where Gunther was part of Team NXT when Team NXT went against SmackDown and Raw. So they don't count that. They only count. Gunther's actually main main event uh, run here. So, Chad Gable being the first guy to do so, that's great. We're still running on this uh, hamster wheel that we're doing with Gunther because Gunther is trying to beat a uh, honky man, honky tonk man, excuse me, uh, Intercontinental Championship reign. And on Raw, they say he only got 12 days to do so. So, I think they're going to have him beat honky tonk man's record and then he'll probably lose the belt after he gets done, like, beating the reign, beating the history, uh, long-standing uh, title reign of Honky Tonk Man. I think they're going to pull a new day, if I'm going to be honest, with Gunther. Um, do I think Chad Gable's the guy to beat Gunther? Why not? I mean, payback would be the way, but I think payback will be just coming a little bit too quicker than uh, the Gunther's uh, record in kind of championship reigning to actually be the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion. So I think after Payback, I think they'll probably pull some shenanigans and we're not going to get that match at Payback. Or if we do, again, shenanigans and Gunther's going to retain the title and then we'll probably get the third match between them for a rubber match on Monday Night Raw. That's when Chad Gable's going to beat Gunther because Chad Gable is due for a uh, push and everybody can see how good Chad Gable was in this match with Gunther, and previously, Chad Gable is a good wrestler. So, again, we're just hoping to see that from WWE to do that with Chad Gable, and hopefully once Gable wins the Intercontinental title, Gunther can go off to more than likely become the World Heavyweight Champion. And speaking of, Shinsuke Nakamura will come out. Well, let me backtrack that. Shinsuke Nakamura didn't come out. We'll get a video package of Shinsuke Nakamura, and he will talk about what he said to uh, Seth Rollins last week in the middle of the ring when he whispered something to him and what he said was that he knows about Seth Rollins back. Seth has been wrestling with a bad back for years now and nobody apparently knew the extent to how bad it was Nakamura does so Nakamura is going to be aiming at Seth's back in their match at Payback for the World Heavyweight Championship it's going to be interesting to see who's going to really walk out with that but I think Seth's going to do so and with that knowledge, I think everybody's going to be targeting Seth's back, and that's going to be the beginning trigger to seeing Seth start to basically break down as the World Heavyweight Champion, and this could probably lead to Gunther being the one to 
uh, taking this World Heavyweight Championship off of Seth Rollins if they want to go that route, but they already start laying eggs for people to start targeting Seth's back after his little feud here with Nakamura. Now, moving on to our next matchup here, Rhea Ripley with Dominic Mysterio in her corner going against Candice LeRae, who had Indy Hartwell in hers. Uh, Rhea would win the match by submission using the reverse Texas Cloverleaf. Candice LeRae would tap out. Now, after the match, as Rhea and Dom were walking up the ramp, Raquel Rodriguez would come out, and Raquel would be out here walking with one crutch. Rhea would mock Raquel. Raquel seeing this, Raquel would toss her crutch over to Rhea and start beating up on Rhea Ripley. Now, Rhea is getting the beat down by Raquel inside the ring, and Raquel would hit Rhea with a follow-away slam, and then Rhea would roll out of the ring and met by Dom. Dom will help Rhea to her feet. They'll get up on the ramp. Raquel will have a microphone and tell Rhea Ripley that she is medically clear and she will be facing Rhea for the Women's World Championship at Payback. So, we have our match set. Next up, The Miz. Miz will come out to the ring and he's going to introduce his opponent that he's going to face for the night and it's Akira Tozawa. Okay, we have this match. LA Knight comes out on commentary and... The Miz is supposed to win this match. We all know it because Akira Tozawa never really wins any matches. Let's be honest here. But Akira Tozawa would win this match by pinfall thanks to the Miz's own arrogance. When the Miz would go for the Skull Crusher finale, Miz will look at LA Knight and mock him. This will lead to Akira escaping Miz's grasp and rolling up Miz for the 1-2-3 for the win. Now, this is a big shock for everyone because, as I said, Akira Tozawa, he doesn't win matches. He's only used just to be a beat-up doll, to be completely honest. But for him to win, that was good for Akira. Now, after the match, Miz would get into an argument with the referee. LA Knight would get in the ring and hit Miz with the blood and force trauma. Now, next up, we'll have Becky Lynch coming out here for her in-ring promo. Becky would talk about her. She can't wait to finally get her hands on Trish Stratus inside a steel cage at Payback. Trish Stratus and Zoe Starks would come out. Trish would talk, and the crowd would just basically poo-poo on Trish because nobody really cares about this feud. People wanted to be dead and gone because these two kind of don't have no chemistry, and I could kind of feel them on it because they're in-ring, like, microphone, like, promo game to one another. It just isn't clicking. It isn't doing nothing here. But to wrap it up, Trish would talk about how she's afraid of being in her first steel cage match, but she's going to kill it just like she has done it with any other tasks she has had in her life. Main eventing the first woman's main event on Raw, she killed it. Uh, her first time being inside the ring with no training, she killed it. Yada, yada, yada. Becky would say that she has a plan to take out Zoe Starks next week because she's going to be facing Zoe in a Falls Count Anywhere match on Raw. So that was the gist of this little promo situation between Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus. Next up, Chelsea Green and Piper Nivens going against a team of Caden Carter and Katana Chance. Piper and Chelsea would win the match by pinfall when Piper would hit a running body splash on Katana for the win. And I forgot to mention, last week, Piper Niven, she would be Chelsea Green's new tag partner, and now Chelsea and Piper are the women's tag team champions because Sonya Deville, she did get injured a couple weeks ago, and... Chelsea Green needed a new partner, and Piper just kind of got in Chelsea's face and just said that I'm going to be your new partner next week, and here we are. Now, we go over to our main event. 
tag matchup. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn going against two members of the Judgment Day, which would be Finn Balor and Damian Priest. Now, Finn and Priest would win the match by disqualification thanks to J.D. McDonough. J.D. would come to the ring and grab the Money in the Bank briefcase and, like, throw it up in the air towards Finn, but Kevin Owens would catch it and hit Finn with it in front of the referee, making the referee call for the bell. After the match, Damian Priest would get in the ring, attack Kevin Owens from behind, and start yelling at J.D., asking him, what's he doing out here? Because you could tell Priest is starting to get upset with J.D. just constantly interfering with Judgment Day business. But, never mind that. The Judgment Day will beat up on Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens until Cody Rhodes would run down to the ring and make the save. Cody would challenge the Judgment Day to an impromptu six-man tag match. So, we will have a new main event. The six-man tag match will happen right now. And Cody... Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn would win that six-man tag match by pinfall when Cody Rhodes would hit the crossroads on Dominic Mysterio. Then Cody would tag in Sami. Sami would tag in Kevin Owens. Sami would hit the Huluva kick. And then Kevin Owens would stun Dom to win the match. And that's how Raw would go off with the good guys of Cody Rhodes, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn standing tall as the Judgment Day will look at the good guys from the ramp. Now with that, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we go over to NXT. And this week's NXT was their Heat Wave Special. And to start us off, we will have Trick Williams going against Ilya Dragunov. This was a great match to open the show. We had Ilya winning the match by pinfall when Ilya would hit a diving forearm from the second turnbuckle on the Trick Williams to win the match. Trick showed a lot of heart in this. This whole match was literally made for Everyone to see Trick Williams is no longer a sidekick to Carmelo Hayes. He's no longer uh, the hype man for Carmelo Hayes. It's to showcase and to show everyone that Trick Williams is looking to hopefully go after a championship whenever the time is right for him because he wanted Ilya to bring his best. He wanted Ilya to strike him in the corner and he wanted to give an exchange back to Ilya and he was able to do so. And I would like to say that the crowd was thoroughly on Trick Williams' side. I mean, you have people that enjoy Ilya, which is hard for you not to enjoy Ilya when you know the type of caliber of wrestler that he is, the same way that Gunther is. But Trick Williams, he's so beloved by the NXT faithful because of his relationship with Carmelo Hayes and that they just wanted to see him succeed and win. Sadly, he didn't, but... I think at the end of the line, he ended up winning because he was able to showcase the heart that he had in this match against Ilya. And even after the fact, Ilya looked at Trick Williams and even gave him like the head nod of approval, like he earned my respect. So again, even though Trick didn't win the match, he did win Ilya and everybody's respect. Now, after this, we would have Ivy Nile going against uh, Ava Rain, who has the schism in her corner and also... The minions, like schisms, like henchmen surrounding the ringside for this matchup here. Ivy now would win the match by submission when she will lock in the dragon sleeper after reversing a body slam. Now, after the match, Joe Gacy was sending the minions in the ring to go after Ivy, but Ivy would beat up the minions before going after Ava Rain. Ava would be lucky to be dragged out of the ring by two minions whose body shapes looked like the Creed's. And we will get to that throughout the night because Ava will be sending videos to 
Ivy saying to meet her at the Schism's location if she wanted to finish this thing off. And once Ivy would meet Ava there later in the night, Ava would tell the two henchmen to go after Ivy. The two guys wouldn't do it, and Ava would ask, what's the wrong with you? And the two guys would unmask themselves, and it was the Creed's, Julius Creed and Brutus Creed. Ivy would grab Ava, hold her, and take her captive. The Creed's would issue a challenge to the Dyad for a steel cage match next week on NXT. And if the Creed's win, they are reinstated back into NXT. Later in the night, we would get a reply from the Dyad and Joe Gacy, and they would agree to that matchup. So next week, the Creed's going against the Dyad in a steel cage match. Now, after this, we will have the Heritage Cup match between Noam Dar and Metaphor will be in his corner, while Nathan Frazier would have Tyler Bate in his corner only for two rounds. Um, because in the second round, Nathan Frazier would look at Tyler Bate getting chokeslammed by Dabakato. This would take Tyler Bate out of the situation, and this will allow Noam Dar to get the first fall on Nathan Frazier by rolling him up for the win. So now Noam has 1-0 on Nathan Frazier. Nathan will get the second fall in the fifth round by pinfall by hitting a superplex and turning it into the final cut. So now we're down 1-1. Noam Dar will get the third fall in the sixth and final round thanks to metaphor interference. Nathan would have Noam Dar down and Nathan would go to the top turnbuckle. Oral Mensa will go on the apron and go after Nathan. Nathan would kick Oral off the apron and Oral would fall onto Jakari Jackson and Lash Legend outside of the ring. Now, Nathan would go to try to look to hit a uh, Phoenix Splash onto Noam Dar, but Noam Dar would move out of the way, and Nathan would crash on the ring. And this will allow Noam Dar to hit a running Insiguri onto Nathan Frazier to pick up the second fall and regain the Heritage Cup. So, now Noam Dar is a three-time uh, Heritage Cup winner. And this was a solid match. I am getting into the whole Heritage Cup rules, the match. I like it. I like what they've done. I think that NXT knows that they can take chances and they bring things over from other locations. Like this whole Heritage Cup deal started over at NXT UK. And for them to bring it over to the American brand of NXT and have it be displayed and showcased the way that they're doing it, I think this is their best way. I like it. I said whenever they first started doing it, I didn't understand the rules and concept. And I said that they probably have to show this multiple times for the American audience to grab a hold of it. And it's proven to work because now I fully understand the whole concept of the Heritage Cup, the rules and how it works. And I enjoy it every time we get a match for the Heritage Cup. So hopefully we get more of them in which we will because next week we'll start uh, the global invitational tournament because there will be eight matches within uh this due time and the winner of this tournament will be facing noam dar at no mercy for the heritage cup so we have that uh happening next week well the tournament beginning next week so i don't know who's going to be in it they did not announce who's going to be a part of it but i'm pretty sure nathan frazier might be in it i could probably see one of the coffees whether it be mark coffee or joe coffee and probably some like surprise additions probably be a part of the tournament, but I can't wait to see who's going to be a part of it. Now, next up, we would get a Tiffany Stratton, the NXT Women's Champion, coming down for an in-ring promo, and the gist was that she would say that she's going to go down 
as one of the greatest NXT Women's Champions. Uh, she will list former champions. She will say Asuka, Charlotte, uh, Shayna. She would say Becky Lynch, but she will have to correct that later in the night and say that Becky wasn't an NXT Women's Champion. But all in all, that's what Tiffany's out here. Then we have Gigi Dolan coming out here and tell Tiffany that she will not go down as the greatest NXT Women's Champion and that Gigi Dolan would like to challenge Tiffany for that NXT Women's Championship. Then we have Kiana James. Kiana will tell Gigi that she doesn't deserve a shot at that championship, but it will be Kiana that deserves a shot. Then we will have uh, Blair Davenport. She will say the exact same thing. Then we finally get Roxanne Perez. Roxanne Perez will be the one to get things popping when Roxanne would forearm Tiffany in the face, and then the brawl would commence. Tiffany, she will roll out of the ring, but you will have a brawl between Roxanne, Gigi Dolan, Blair Davenport, and Kiana James. Now, it will be announced later in the night by Tiffany Stratton that she talked to NXT management and that next week on NXT, it'll be a fatal four-way matchup where the winner will be facing against Tiffany for the NXT Women's Championship. So next week, we have Roxanne, Blair Davenport, Gigi Dolan, and Kiana James in a fatal four-way match. Now, next matchup on NXT card will be the mixed tag team matchup. We will have Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley going against Dragon Lee and Lyra Valkyria. Dragon Lee and Lyra Valkyria would win the match by pinfall, thanks in part to Raquel Rodriguez interfering. Raquel would interfere towards the end of the match when Rhea just got done bashing Lyra's body into the barricade and Rhea got back on the apron. Raquel Rodriguez would run down to the ring, grab Rhea off the apron. The referee wouldn't see it, and now you have Raquel and Rhea fighting up the ramp and into the back. Dominic will see Rhea just basically start going to the back and Dominic will yell for Rhea. And this will allow Dragon Lee to hit Destino on Dominic to win the match. So with Dragon Lee getting a win on Dominic Mysterio, I probably could see Dragon Lee getting another shot at the NXT North American Championship. But we probably still got to go through Mustafa Ali because Mustafa, he wants to have that NXT North American Championship. So, I can see Dragon Lee going against Mustafa Ali for a shot for the NXT North American Championship. I can see that going the way if they want to do it, but I can see Dragon Lee putting up a good fight saying that he should be the next one in line for that North American title because he just pinned Dominic. So, we have to wait and see what happens next week on NXT, but the gates are open for possibilities. Now, next up, we were supposed to have Baron Corbin going against Von Wagner in a match, but that does not happen because Baron Corbin would attack Von Wagner from behind when Von was doing his entrance. So the match never happens. We just have a brawl between Baron Corbin and Von Wagner. There will be moments where we think we're going to get Von Wagner going to powerbomb Baron Corbin through the commentary table. But no, we will have Braun Breaker just popping out of nowhere. And with the explosiveness that he has, he would just run over and just spear Von Wagner. And the great thing about this is that Braun Breaker would wear a t-shirt that says best spear in the business, which Braun is not wrong. I think Braun Breaker has listened to what people have said on the internet because everybody that I've looked at, they've said the exact same thing. Braun Breaker has literally the best spear like in wrestling right now. He beats out uh, Roman Reigns. He beats out Edge. He beats out just a lot of people in the spear category because of his explosiveness and the way that he really throws it in when he does it. So Braun would spear Vaughn and he would look at Baron Corbin and tell him that you don't fear no one in NXT, huh? 
Well, you should. And Baron Corbin just looks like he has a smile on his face. So I can see just a big triple threat, like hardcore or no disqualification or false count anywhere, whatever you want to call it, between these three big guys because they just want to rule NXT. Well, I know Baron Corbin and uh, Braun Breaker do, but Von Wagner, he just wants to just put people through tables. So I can see this being a triple threat match and uh, probably a false count anywhere or a uh, no holds barred probably at um, no mercy. That's where I think they should do it. But again, we got NXT next week. That's going to happen. So we'll probably get the announcement made next week. Now we move over into the main event for the NXT championship. Wesley going against Carmelo Hayes. This is Carmelo's first time without Trick Williams in his corner for an NXT matchup. Well, NXT World Championship matchup. And also, they will make a known on commentary that this is the first time that two black wrestlers have, will be facing off against each other for the NXT World Championship. So that was a nice moment to have here. Um, Carmelo Hayes, he would retain his NXT Championship by pinfall when he would hit nothing but net on Wesley after Wes tried to hit Carmelo with a suicide dive outside of the ring, but Wes would hit his head directly, like smacked on the barricade, and this would knock Wes kind of cold, and Carmelo, he sees this, he kind of gets on the apron, he's hoping that Wes doesn't make it back into the ring, the ref starts counting, Wes gets on the ring, at least his hands are on it, by the count of eight, and then you get this nice little TV moment where the TV people did it right, they get a camera shot of Mello looking at Wes, Wes looking at Mello, and by the count of nine, Wes would roll himself back into the ring, and Mello, he wasted no time, he got on the top turnbuckle, hit nothing but net, win the match. Solid match, great match between Wesley and Carmelo Hayes. Um, there was a moment where you saw Mello hit that springboard like DDT onto Wes, who was already on the commentary table, so they went through that. I mean, this was a good match between both of them. Um, you could tell where they want to go at West. Like there was a possibility that he could have won it, but he was too overzealous and he just shot a shot, but he missed. So Melo is now still the NXT champion. We'll probably get more Wesley, uh, being aggravated and upset next week, especially since now Ilya wants another shot at the NXT championship. Um, we probably going to see Ilya going against West to probably say today who's going to be the number one contender next week. That's why I think, again, this is all just me thinking where I think they could go, but we'll have to wait and see. But NXT Heat Wave was a great show. I would recommend you watching it. But with that being said, that's your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over into AEW Dynamite. And as usual, before I do get to Dynamite, I do have to mention the quick hits that happened on AEW Collision. Quick hit, CM Punk, he would ambush Samoa Joe dressed up as a mask man uh they called him the golden vampire uh punk would beat up on samoa joe and hit a poorly executed gts but the big thing about it was that cm punk would accept samoa joe's uh challenge for a match at aew's all-in so we had that match made official for cm punk's real world championship uh ricky starks he seems that he has aligned himself with w morrissey until his suspension is up and I believe that is the big things that came out of AEW Collision, to be honest with you. Um, 
moving over into Dynamite, this is their last episode of Dynamite until uh, All In. So they will make this one count extremely. So the first match that we would have or we were supposed to have was the Elite going against the Guns and Juice Robinson with Jay White in their corner, but that match would not take place. The Elite would attack Bullet Club Gold as they would make their way to the ring. It would be complete chaos. There would be moments where it looked like the match might actually happen because you will have two members of one uh, team in there going against two members, and then it's sometimes come down to one and one. At this point, you have Juice Robinson like in the ring with Matt Jackson. He hits Matt in the gut with a steel chair. The referee tries to take the chair away from Juice, and they do. Juice Robinson would punch the referee in the face and knock him out, so this match literally would never start. So we have chaos from everyone. Um, the Elite, they were able to hold their own for a minute. The Elite were able to beat up on Bullet Club Gold until uh, Konosuke Takeshita would come down, and now it's a five-on-three style situation until... FTR would make their way down to the ring. Now, once FTR makes their way to the ring, FTR and the Young Bucks would take out Bullet Club Gold, leaving Takeshita and Omega fighting in the ring. Omega would look to hit the one-winged angel on Takeshita, but Takeshita would get off Omega's shoulders and roll out of the ring. So we have that great way to stay, uh, start off Dynamite. Again, complete and utter chaos, but that's what you need, especially with the go-home show to like your biggest event of like your whole company's uh, history. So having that to start Dynamite off was great. The first official match that we would have would be John Moxley going against Ray Phoenix with Alex Abrahantes in Ray Phoenix's corner. And the deal with this match was that all members of Stadium Stampede will be barred from ringside. So it would just be a straight up one-on-one competition. Moxley would win the match by submission when Moxley would hit an avalanche paradigm shift and Phoenix would kick out of that pin, which would make John Moxley be surprised by this, and he would apply a sleeper hold on Phoenix. Phoenix would fade in making the referee call for the bell. This was a hard-hitting match to start open uh, Dynamite. Now, after the match, the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club would come down to the ring with crowbars, and Claudio would hold Phoenix up and allow Yuta to hit Phoenix in the head with the crowbar. Now, Eddie Kingston and Penta would start coming down to the ring, but get stopped by a surprising uh, Ortiz, who's holding a slapjack in his hand, and a returning Santana, who would appear on the stage. Now, Proud and Powerful would stop Eddie and Penta. However, the best friends, Orange Cassidy, Trent Beretta, and Chuck Taylor, they would make their way down to the ring, and you would have the Blackpool Combat Club and Proud and Powerful leave through the crowd. Ray Phoenix, he will be taken on a stretcher and ambulance out. And Ray Phoenix is now out of the stadium stampede match at all in. So now it's five on five. So now you have Eddie Kingston, Penta, and the best friends going against the Blackpool Combat Club and the returning uh, proud and powerful Santana and Ortiz. You know, I wish they would have just kept that a secret until all in happened. Like, literally have Santana and Ortiz make their big surprise return back at All In instead of on the go-home show. I wish they would have done that because I would have loved to see the face of Eddie Kingston, especially on a big moment like that. he just have a big surprise face. But we still got that here with uh, the go-home show. But, again, it's just me being a little nitpicker here. But I still love that uh, Santana and Ortiz is back, at least together as it seems. 
it could just be a one-time deal. Who knows? But hopefully they're back together as a tag team, and hopefully we get them actually going after the AEW Tag Team Championships and hopefully even winning them because they should have been a tag team uh, champions by now in their career in AEW. But, hey, to each his own, we'll have to find out at All In and even after the fact. Now, after this, we would get the contract signing between Chris Jericho, who will have Sammy Guevara in his corner, and Will Ospreay, who will have Don Callis in his corner. Don Callis will tell Chris Jericho the reason why he turned on Chris last week and threw down their 34 years of friendship down the drain is because Don Callis chose power and money over his friendship. Don would say he would rather make history with Will Ospreay than allow it to happen with Don on the sidelines. Will Ospreay will take the mic and he will tell Chris Jericho that this match will put him on the mountaintop and beating Chris Jericho would allow him to say that he has beaten Kenny Omega, Kazushika Okada, and Chris Jericho in two months' time and he will be the only man that will be able to say that. He would give out the greatest line by saying, yo dog, I know I'm better than everyone here. I know I'm better than the Elite. I know I'm better than Danielson. I know I'm better than Punk and I know I'm better than you. And that by doing this match here and beating you, this will give me the leverage for when my contract expires in six months because people will want to pay millions to get me. So Will Ospreay is using this as a money play, and that's smart because if your contract is up in six months, fair play. And if you beat Chris Jericho, that's another thing onto your resume, bud. So... We'll have to wait and see what happens with New Japan. I think Will is probably going to stay with New Japan. I think this was just a great line. But if he happens to go to AEW with his Aussie Open uh, brethren or stablemates, it wouldn't be bad because he still can go over to New Japan and just do his business because AEW and New Japan have a great working relationship, at least at this point in time. So with Will Ospreay saying this, Chris Jericho would tell Will, that he was the one that had to call Will a couple years ago to tell him to slow it down so he wouldn't end up in a wheelchair like his hero Dynamite Kid. Chris Jericho will say that this match is so important to him because he is at the mountaintop right now, and people are constantly trying to knock him down every day, whether it's people getting in the ring with him or people on social media trying to just knock him down. But Chris would tell Will that at All In, he has to bring the best version of himself as Will needs to bring the best version of himself in front of his countrymen, in front of his family, in front of his missus, and his four-year-old stepkid if he has a chance to even beat Chris Jericho. Now, when Chris invoked the likeness or the loved ones of Will Ospreay, Will Ospreay will slap the mic out of Chris's hand, and Chris will slap the fire out of Will's mouth. Now, Will Ospreay, like a pit bull, he's trying to get at Chris Jericho, but the security guards would come in the ring, or they were already inside the ring, excuse me, and they would just keep Will Ospreay away from Chris, Chris away from Will, and this was a perfect segment to really let people know that you really want to watch this match, because on social media, online, people were really skeptical of Chris Jericho going against Will Ospreay, because Jericho has been in the business, people call Jericho sloppy, they don't know how Jericho's going to keep up with someone like Will Ospreay, listen, I wasn't worried about this, I said, okay, in my own head, when I saw this match was rumored, and then you saw it all come into play on Dynamite last week. I knew, okay, this is where they're going. All right. Will Ospreay, he knows how to work with other people's styles. Chris Jericho, even though he's old, he can still at least keep up if he was able to work with Kenny Omega. And Jericho wasn't a spring chicken when he worked with uh, Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. You think he can't work with Will Ospreay? You guys are nuts. 
So I just allowed people to say what they wanted to say on social media, and I just watched. In this segment right here, I think it proved a lot of people that AO, they're going to be all right. They're going to show off and show out at All In, and this segment was the perfect way to at least get the naysayers to at least be on the fence and still be like, you know what, I might not still find this match okay, but I'm at least going to watch to see how it goes. And for people that's already on the fence, I think watching this promo right here between the two got them off the fence and made them want to watch this match. At least that's how I feel this segment did. So, bye-bye to Chris Jericho and Will Ospreay here. Now, next up, we had the Tornado Tag Match between Nick Wayne and Darby Allen against Swerve Strickland and A.R. Fox with Prince Nana in their corner. Nick Wayne and Darby Allen would win this match by pinfall when A.R. Fox would miss the 450 splash, and Nick Wayne would get A.R. Fox in some type of small uh, package-style pin for the win as Darby Allen like, got his belt and like tied uh, Swerve's legs together to make sure that Swerve couldn't like break up the pin. Now, throughout this match, you saw like Nick Wayne and Darby getting beat up by Swerve and A.R. Fox. I mean, there'll be moments that Nick and Darby would like get the advantage, but I will say about a good 70-30 of this match was really controlled by Swerve and A.R. Fox. Now, this would give credence to what's about to happen because after the match, as Nick Wayne and Darby would go up the ramp to the back, Swerve would get a mic and he would chew out A.R. Fox, saying that Fox constantly drops the ball every time he is given the chance and Swerve would just hand Nana the mic so Nana could fire A.R. Fox from the Mogul Embassy and once he do so Brian Cage would come in the ring and he would hit A.R. Fox with a discus clothesline then hit him with the drill claw now once the damage has been done to A.R. Fox you will see Darby Allen, Sting, and Nick Wayne come down to the ring and make the Mogul Embassy basically retreat Air Fox, he's on the mat. He's looking up at Darby. Darby would get the mic and tell Fox that Fox was the reason that he made it this far in wrestling and that he was the guy that gave him a place to live while he was in, in Atlanta and not having money and that no matter what Fox has done to him, he still loves Fox and he forgives him. Darby and Fox will hug each other. So it seems that Air Fox is now back to being a good guy here. Darby would ask Swerve, what's he going to do now all in? Who's his partner going to be now since he just dropped AR Fox? They would go to a camera cut of Swerve and the Mogul affiliates standing there on the apron. Well, not apron, the ring uh, ramp. And Swerve and Nana would have a smile on their face like they knew this was coming. And out walks Christian Cage and Luchasaurus. Christian Cage would say that he was always two steps ahead of everyone and that he is going to be tag, tagging up with Swerve at All-In to face off against Darby and staying in the coffin match. And before we leave this segment here, Christian Cage, he did what he always does now, at least since he's been a complete jerk-off in AEW. When it comes down to like going against someone that has a dead father, he went and started talking to Nick Wayne about his dead dad, calling him irrelevant, a nobody, and... Yo, Christian would just say some real foul stuff. But again, Christian's a jerk off, so he can get away with that. But boy, oh boy, every time he says something about a wrestler's dead dad, everybody knows that Christian is just going to be on the bandwagon, like trying to go after it. So if you are a wrestler in AEW and you have a dead father, just know if you are in a feud with Christian, he's going to bring it up. Just 
because that's just Christian Cage's shtick, and that people on social media, they enjoy it, but boy, they always, uh, at least the way that they type it out, or at least talk about it, they always like, okay, they know that's Christian's whole deal now, and we're just waiting for the line to pop up for Christian to say it. But again, every time Christian says it, it's without fail, always gets some type of ooze or boo throughout the crowd. So Christian knows what he's doing. He's been a vet of this. So Christian just gets a pass for talking about people's dead dads. Now, next up, we have Ruby Soho going against Sky Blue. Ruby would win the match by pinfall by hitting Destination Unknown. Ruby is now targeting Chris Statlander for the TBS Championship. I'm glad they at least are having Ruby doing something else because right now her two other stable mates are now going to be in the all-in Fatal 4-Way match for the Women's Championship. So having Ruby doing something, I'm glad they are not just keeping her like as a side character. They actually have her aiming for something. So that's good that Ruby is doing something. Now, next up, we have the Acclaim. The Acclaim will come down to the ring and call out House of Black because the Acclaim are tired of being attacked by the House of Black. They got attacked by them last week. So the House of Black would appear. They would come down to the ring and just start going to work on the Acclaim. It's three on two. The Acclaim could not uh, handle House of Black. Uh, you would see Brody King take his chain off his neck and start wrapping it around his fist. And he's about to hit, I believe it was Max Caster with it, but then Billy Gunn would run down to the ring. Billy would make uh, House of Black retreat up the apron. Billy would get a mic and tell House of Black that a couple of weeks ago, he did two of the hardest things in his life. One was walking away from Max and Anthony, and the other was leaving his boots in the middle of the ring, leaving behind 32 years of a career that he has built up. He was fine with this. Until House of Black beat up Max and Anthony, and they took Billy's boots and destroyed them. Kind of like taking a piss on Billy's legacy. Billy would say that that pissed him off. And now, he threw out the challenge for a trios championship match at All In. They're going for this a third time. So, we have the House of Black going against the Acclaim, and not daddy-ass Billy Gunn. No, no, no. We're going to get badass Billy Gunn, a more serious side of Billy Gunn, a guy that we haven't seen in such a long time. So with that segment now out of the way, we go to the main event for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships, Ozzy Open going against the Hardys. Ozzy Open would retain their championships by pinfall by hitting the Ozzy Arrow, which is an assisted cutter on Jeff Hardy to win the match. After the match, Ozzy Open would say that at All In, they are walking in as champions, and they are walking out as champions. There will be no double clothesline. There will be no kangaroo kick. Now, this will send out the world champion MJF and Adam Cole coming down to the ring. You will have both teams staring off against each other before a brawl breaks out. Ozzy Open looks like they get the better of MJF and Adam Cole for a minute until Adam Cole and MJF have uh, the champions down. Adam Cole and MJF would look to hit the double clothesline on Mark Davis. Mark Davis would grab the rope and, like, slide out of the ring. Now you see MJF, he's looking to hit the kangaroo kick, and that wouldn't happen. Mark Davis, he would get on the apron, hit uh, Max behind the head. Adam Cole would super kick Mark Davis off of the apron, and you would see MJF hold up Kyle Fletcher. Um... Adam Cole was looking to hit Kyle with the super kick, but Kyle would duck, and MJF would catch Adam Cole's foot. And now you have this like serious moment between Adam Cole and MJF because remember, 
not do not get this loss. They are still going against each other in the main event of All In for the AEW World Championship. So you do have that underlying situation going on between the two. And you just have this stare down as MGF is holding Adam's foot. Adam would tell MGF to put it down. MGF would, and now you just have Adam Cole and MGF almost coming nose to nose with the stare down. And it looks like it's so serious. MGF would break away. He would grab the world championship and just hoist it up in the air. Adam Cole will see it, and he would just like nod his head. He would extend his hand out. MGF, he will look at Adam Cole's hand. He wouldn't shake it. He would just walk by and kind of like shoulder bump Adam. And before MGF will leave the ring, MGF will stand at the ropes, and he would dig his dynamite diamond ring out of his pocket, put it on his pinky, and he looks like he's about to hit Adam with it, but he doesn't. He takes the ring off, put it back in his pocket. He shouts out for Adam. Adam turns around. MGF walks over to him, and then they would hug each other. And that's how Dynamite will end, where you will see MGF holding up the world title on uh, the second turnbuckle, looking at the fans. Adam Cole will look at MGF, and you can just see it in Adam Cole's face that he kind of wants to be the world champion. That's what he's aiming for at All In. But then he would snap out of it. He would get on another corner, and he would just pose up there. So now that's how AEW Dynamite will end with Adam Cole and MGF posing up on separate uh, turnbuckles. And that was a perfect way, I think, to end Dynamite because you still have that underlining, are they going to turn on each other or are they going to walk out as Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions? What's going to happen at All In? You still have that piece of Roderick Strong and the Kingdom. Are they going to interfere in both of those matches or just one of the matches? It's a lot of things to really try to really pick out with the AEW World Championship situation between Adam Cole and MJF. That's what makes that main event match so great because they got so many different avenues that they can really venture out for, but it all decides and it all lands on what venture and what outcome do they want. Do they want Adam Cole to win? Do they want MJF to win? Are they going to be in the chicanery? What's going to happen? That's what makes everything fun about this. And that's what makes people have to tune into All In and we'll have to wait and see what happens. Now, with that being said, that's your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over into Impact Wrestling. And to open Impact Wrestling, you will have Champagne Singh and Shira still being inside of the ring as they just got done finished wrapping up BTI. And for people that do not watch BTI or know what it is, that is Impact Wrestling's pre-show that you can view on YouTube. So once that gets done finished wrapping up, you have Champagne Singh and Shira in the middle of the ring. Champagne Singh would say that he is the best wrestler in Chicago. Then PCO would come down to the ring. PCO would beat up uh, Shira and Champagne Singh, all in hopes to basically just try to get at uh, Bully and try to get some attention from Bully Ray. Bully Ray would appear on the screen. Bully Ray will tell PCO that he isn't going to get his hands on him because Bully Ray is at his hotel and he plans on staying at his hotel and not being at the arena. So with PCO knowing this, he will leave the arena and go off to try to go and find Bully Ray at his hotel. Now, later in the night, PCO would arrive at the hotel, look for Bully Ray, and Bully Ray wasn't there. This was all a hoax, and Bully Ray is at the impact zone. 
Now, the first matchup to start Impact Wrestling, however, will be the Knockouts Champion Trinity going against Jody Threat. Trinity would win the match by pinfall by hitting a sit-out full Nelson uh, slam, then turning it into a pin for the win. Solid match to open up Impact and also was a great match for Trinity to get some momentum as she goes into emergence to defend her Knockouts Championship against Deanna Perrazzo. Now, next matchup was Diener with Khan in his corner going against Laredo Kid. Diener would win the match by pinfall after Laredo Kid would roll into the ring after jumping off the top turnbuckle onto Khan. This allowed Diener to hit the antidote, which is a snap DDT for the win. After the match, Diener would get a mic and talk towards Eric Young. Diener would say that Eric started this. He might have written the book. Of the design, violence by design, but Diener now is the design. He is the one that will finish this story. And he challenges Eric Young to a no disqualification match at Emergence to end this, and it was made official. So we had that match now added on to the Emergence card. After this, we have a tag team matchup of Ace Austin and Chris Bay going against the Good Hands. Ace Austin and Chris Bay would win the match by pinfall by hitting the 1 2 sweep, which is the Art of Finesse and the fold on Jason Hodge for the win. Now, next matchup, we have the Impact Wrestling debut of Samurai Del Sol, or better known as Kalisto as he was in WWE, going against Chris Sabin. Chris Sabin would win this match by pinfall when Chris Sabin would hit the Cradle Shock for the win. Solid match between uh, Samurai Del Sol and Chris Sabin here. Chris Sabin worked over Samurai Del Sol's leg uh, a good majority of this match because... In wrestling, if you can't uh, move or you can't perform any of your high-flying abilities because your legs is what guides you. And if your legs get damaged, you won't be able to perform all your high-flyer style of aerial assault and maneuvers. So Chris Saban being a veteran of this, knowing Samurai Del Sol's whole arsenal and knowing that he is a high-flyer, he takes out his legs majority of this match. That was Great for Chris Saban to do so, and I would implore you to go watch this match on YouTube. It should be up there on Impact Wrestling's uh, YouTube page. Same thing going into the next match, which is the main event for the Impact Wrestling uh, World Championship. It is Brian Myers going against Alex Shelley. Alex Shelley would retain his championship by submission by making Brian Myers tap out to the Border City Stretch, or people might know it better as the Gargano Escape because Johnny Gargano uses this uh, submission in WWE. Now, after the match, Bully, Ray, and Moose would come down to the ring and attack Alex Shelley, and they would beat up on Alex Shelley until Kushida and Josh Alexander would run down to make the save. Now it's a three-on-three, and it seems as Impact was going off, the good guys were beating up on the bad guys, and again, this is all for people to hype up Emergence, because at Emergence, you can have an eight-man tag of Bully Ray, Moose, Brian Myers, and Exhibition Champion Leah Rush going against Alex Shelley, the Impact World Champion, Chris Saban, Kushida, and Josh Alexander. Now, with that being said, that was your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And I just want to make note, Impact Wrestling, again, is a show that moves pretty quickly with things. They like to do a lot of wrestling. You'll get your backstage segments. You'll get things of that nature. But a lot of wrestling on the show. So that's the reason why I'm able to move like off of Impact so quickly. I just want to get that out of the way. Now, as I said before, that was your Impact Wrestling, Wrestling Highlights of the Week, and now we go off to SmackDown. And SmackDown will start off with a somber look and somber feeling because 
WWE would show off the graphics of Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt. Um, both of them lost their lives this week. Terry Funk, he lost his life uh, Tuesday, I presume. And huh, Bray Wyatt, he lost his life on a Thursday. And that came to a complete shock to everybody in the wrestling world, but I'll get to my uh, tributes to both of these men when I'm done talking about uh, Friday Night and Rampage before I get to the all-in predictions. But that's how SmackDown will open up. They would have the SmackDown roster standing on the stage. They would mention the passings of Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt. They would show a beautiful, and I mean extremely beautiful, uh, video tribute for Bray Wyatt. And after that... um. They would do the Tim Bell salute, and you would see them having the rocking chair that Bray was synonymously known for being, like, at the stage, and they'll, like, have the spotlight on it, and this was a real special moment here, because front of the stage, well, in front of the SmackDown crew, like, the key people, you saw Triple H there, you saw Braun Strowman there, Strowman has been... Uh, taking care of his neck injury that he's been dealing with. So they flew him in for that. They brought Cody in. Cody isn't a SmackDown guy. He's a Raw guy, but they brought him in because Cody was uh, Bray Wyatt's NXT uh, mentor of season two, if you guys watch NXT at that time before it became the wrestling show that you know it for today. And they brought in Eric Rowan, who Rowan, God bless him, he's been doing this now. For the last three years. Because three years ago he went off to AEW to celebrate his brother. As in wrestling brother Brody Lee's passing over there. And now he's back here again to celebrate his wrestling brother Bray Wyatt's uh, passing here. So like I said, God bless him. So to see those guys on the front line. It was uh, important and it was uh, a nice touch. And we would start off with our first match of Rey Mysterio going against Grayson Waller. Rey Mysterio, he would wear an armband to have Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt on it. I did not know that Rey Mysterio had any dealings with Terry Funk until I did a quick Google, like, YouTube search. And Rey Mysterio actually did have some business dealing with Terry Funk when he was in WCW. So that what brought me to a shock with that. And I knew that Rey Mysterio had some dealings with Bray Wyatt because that whole Bray Wyatt hitting Rey Mysterio with the quickest sister Abigail, that thing gets uh, gifted a lot whenever people talk about quick finishers that came out of nowhere, so I knew about that, but the Terry Funk one, it surprised me. Um, anyway, getting to the match, Rey Mysterio would win the match by pinfall, hitting the 619, then a body splash onto Grace Waller. Rey Mysterio in the match did pay tribute to Bray Wyatt by hitting Bray Wyatt's signature rebound, clothesline, and then the senton on Grayson Waller here. Um, this match did set up a match for next week with Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar going against Grayson Waller and Austin Theory because Theory did interfere in this match and Santos had to come out to equal out the playing field. So we had that match set up for next week. Also, John Cena, he is going to be on SmackDown next week. And I, before I continue on with the next match, I will be remiss if I didn't say that throughout the night they would show um photos of Bray Wyatt with different members of the WWE roster and his personal life and you would get like tweets from WWE people um them reminiscing of their time with Bray Wyatt and that would happen throughout the rest of the night and also different periods of Bray Wyatt's career from him showing up with the Wyatt family to him 
becoming the fiend to him um just even him re-debuting they would have the qr code on the television screen as well so again this show is really focused on bray wyatt but you would get a terry funk uh segment in this but i'm about to get to that in a minute um the second match of the night will be the wwe women's championship matchup of selena vega challenging the champion eo sky bailey and dakota would be in eo's corner eo would retain her championship by pinfall by hitting the over the moon moonsault for the win now, after this, we have Cody Rhodes come down to the ring to give a tribute to Terry Funk. Cody would tell a story when he was 11 and at an airport with his father, and he heard a voice shouting towards them. And when the voice came closer, they noticed that it was Terry Funk. And Cody would say that the modern day wrestlers, we have been called everything from WWE superstars to pro wrestlers to athletes, competitors, artists even carnies, but there are very few select individuals that have earned the right to be called cowboys, and Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt have the distinction to be known as cowboys, but in the best ways. Cody would tell of the importance of Terry Funk being in the wrestling business for 50 years and being able to give people, a company, a movement, something called the rub, which for people that don't know what the rub is, the rub is whenever you are a top star and you're having to bring somebody or something up to your level and basically give it the prominence so that once you leave, that individual or company now has prominence, has popularity, has some reverence that it can continue on and continue to grow. So that's what Terry Funk has been doing for the past 50 years. Cody would then have everyone look at a beautiful tribute video to WWE. Uh, did for Terry Funk, and I have to say this again, WWE, out of everybody in the professional wrestling business, and I mean this, AEW has to, like, step their game up on this, because AEW is number two, I have to mention this, um, WWE, with their video packages, I mean, in their tribute packages, is just top-notch, A1, just, you're not gonna beat them, unless you start really putting in a lot of work. Because whenever it's time to get things done, WWE, they got it on lock and on smash. So they were able to really pull off a Bray Wyatt beautiful tribute video and also a Terry Funk tribute video as well. So once Terry Funk's tribute video gets done playing, Cody Rose will say that he has the honor to introduce the next tag team matchup, which will be known as a Terry Funk hardcore match. And the competitors for this tag team hardcore match will be the Brawling Brutes going against the Street Profits. The Street Profits would win this match by pinfall thanks to Bobby Lashley interfering when Rich Holland had Angela Dawkins on a table and Butch would go to the top turnbuckle. Bobby would shove Butch off the top turnbuckle and Butch would land on outside of the ring. Bobby would hit Butch with a spear. Montez Ford would hit Ridge with the Insiguri and the Profits would smash Ridge through the table with the Revelation, which is their name for their tag team finisher now, which is a sky-high neckbreaker combination, and that's how the Street Profits would win this matchup here. Now, Butch did a spinning toe hold, and Ridge used Butch and put him on the shoulders and swung him around the same way that Terry Funk would do with the ladder when Terry Funk was wrestling. So those two moves were in tribute to Terry Funk in this match. Now, people online, they would make a little complaint because if you're going to have a hardcore match and you pay a tribute to someone like Terry Funk, who was known in his later years, 
for being a hardcore guy. You only have a table in this matchup, which is supposed to be hardcore. You're supposed to be thinking of chairs and kendo sticks and tables, but you only use a table, a singular table, might I add. It doesn't really give off the tribute that you want, but I'm pretty sure at Double or Nothing, no, not Double or Nothing, God, AEW's All In that's coming up uh, tomorrow on Sunday, you're going to be fed with this hardcoreness that you want from the stadium stampede, but I'll get more into that, into the predictions. Now, we would get away from that, and we would go off to our main event. We would have the main event for this special tribute show, uh, Finn Balor going against LA Knight, and the commentary team would explain the reasoning why these two guys are here. LA Knight, he was the last guy to face Bray Wyatt um, in his WWE matchup that Bray had, and it was at the Royal Rumble on television, but Live events, Bray Wyatt worked with LA Knight in a street fight street fight style of match because uh, I noticed that because people put that up on Twitter. And the reason why Finn is here is because, well, Finn played a prominent role in Bray's career because Finn, whenever he went and had to become the demon, he went off against Bray with that one. Bray when had to become the fiend, Bray went off against Finn with that. And they went off against each other one-on-one in their normal forms. But on commentary, they did make the distinction notion that we never got the one pairing that everybody wanted to see. The demon going against the fiend. So that's just one thing we never will ever get to see. But again, that's the reason why Finn is here going against LA Knight. Um, LA Knight, he would win the match by pinfall by hitting the bone force trauma after hitting a leaping uh, superplex from the top turnbuckle. Solid match from these two. I like the promo that LA Knight did at the beginning of the match before Finn Balor came out here. He would pay his respect to uh, Bray Wyatt before talking about The Miz, but yeah, I like what LA Knight did here. It was tasteful, and it was class, and after the match got done, and LA Knight started walking up the ramp, they would start shutting lights, and they would put the lantern in the middle of the ring and start having like smoke popping from the ring, and then they'll pop up a photo of Bray Wyatt's like silhouette looking at the screen and just allow everyone to say thank you Bray as everybody had their cell phone lights up and they were the fireflies for one last time. So WWE did a nice tasteful tribute to uh, Bray Wyatt and Terry Funk and um, it was really good. It was a nice way to send people off, especially as I said before, it was really, really uh unexpected of Bray Wyatt passing, but again, I'll get more into my tribute to Bray after I get done covering uh, AEW Rampage. And speaking of Rampage, first matchup that we have is for the AEW International Championship. We have Orange Cassidy defending his title against Aaron Solo with Harley Cameron in his corner. Orange Cassidy would retain his championship by pinfall by hitting the beach break for the win. Next matchup is for the AAA Latin American Championship where you have Gravity going against the champion, QT Marshall, and QT will have Johnny TV in his corner. QT would win the match and retain his AAA Latin American Championship by hitting the DSD, which is the deaf, well, not deaf, dirt sheet driver, which is a suplex that gets flipped into a powerbomb. Now, next matchup was Luchasaurus going against a scrub named Ren Jones. Luchasaurus would win the match by pinfall by hitting a chokeslam then a lariat to the back of the head of Jones for the win. I will make this one thing known. Luchasaurus, he should just end it with a chokeslam. He does not need to do the lariat to the back of the head. 
Probably do the lariat to the back of the head as a signature to set up for the choke slam. That's where I think they would go if they want to keep that lariat behind the head. But finishing move should be a choke slam. Now, off to the main event. Tony Storm and Soraya going against the team of the AEW Women's Champion, Hikaru Shida, and Britt Baker. Tony Storm and Soraya would win the match by pinfall, thanks in part to Shida basically getting sprayed in the face by Tony Storm. And Shida would not know that Britt Baker is trying to calm her down or help her out. And Shida would forearm Britt in the face, and this will allow Soraya to hit Rampage to win the match. Now, after the match, you will see Soraya pick up the AEW Women's Championship, and you see her holding it. Tony Storm will walk over, and she will try to hold the belt as well. Now you have this awkward situation between Soraya and Tony Storm. Both of them will try to talk it out, and then you see them both lift up the Women's Championship in the air because they all four of these women are competing for the Women's Championship at All In, and Soraya and Tony Storm are teammates, so it's going to make an interesting dynamic to see who's going to do what, who's going to backstab who, and who's going to walk out as the AEW Women's Champion and All Out. Now, with that being said, that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, it's time for me to give you my AEW All-In predictions. First off, we have the FTW Championship matchup between Jack Perry and Hook. This is on their pre-show. I think Hook is going to take the FTW Championship away from Jack Perry. Then we go to a Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship matchup. Aussie Open going against Better Than You, Bay, the AEW World Champion, MJF, and Adam Cole. This one's going to be tricky. It's going to be funny if they do put the titles on MJF and Adam Cole. Then we will have a WrestleMania 23 situation. For people that are not aware, WrestleMania 23, you have Shawn Michaels and John Cena competing for the WWE Championship. At the time, John Cena was the WWE Champion. And him and Shawn were the World Tag Team Champions at the exact same time. So they could try to pull that off here, but I don't think they're going to do so. I think Ozzy Open is going to win thanks to some miscommunication between MJF and Adam Cole, which will lead into the main event of All In. Now, we'll start off with All In. We'll have the AEW World Tag Team Championships, FTR going against the Young Bucks. Um, If the personal situation didn't happen with Cash Wheeler, I would say FTR, so the Young Bucks could put over FTR again in this big arena. But since that situation happened with Cash Wheeler, I think for business practices, I think they're going to put the belts on the Young Bucks. Uh, Fatal 4-Way for the AEW Women's Championship, Hukar Ashida, Tony Storm, Shreya, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. You know what? I'm going to say keep it on Shida. I think Tony Storm and Shreya, they're going to cost each other the matchup. Dr. Britt Baker, I think if they put it back on Britt, we're going to be like, oh my gosh, Shida just got it, and now you're putting it back on Britt. Why not just have Britt beat Tony Storm whenever you had him in the States? So I think Shida is the one that's going to win this matchup here, to be honest. Coffin match. It's going to be Darby Allen and Sting going against uh, Sword of Strickland and Christian Cage. I think Darby and Sting is going to win. And just in case, I'm adding this little caveat here. I think we might get a surprise appearance from uh, Adam Copeland, Edge, maybe. Again, there's rumors and speculations running around. And I think it'll be a great benefit if Edge or Adam Copeland did pop up at All In. Because he could say, well, I have my retirement quote-unquote matchup or my last match in WWE in front of my hometown of Toronto and now I went off to make a debut in the biggest wrestling event of all time in a technically still newish company of AEW and I'm here just to help out the new talent 
I think Adam Copeland would be a great benefit to AEW, but it's all about if he wants to do that. But uh, I don't know if Edge is going to be there, but uh, Darby and Sting winning, yes, because Sting has not lost in a match in AEW yet. So Sting is going to win just off of that. So Sting and Darby. Six-man tag match. The Golden Elite, which is Cody Ibushi, Kenny Omega, and Hangman Adam Page going against uh, Takeshita and Jay White and Juice Robinson. I think the Golden Elite is going to win this because I think this is going to catapult into a match between Kenny Omega and Jay White at All Out. And I think you're going to have Jay White beat Kenny Omega at All Out that next week. So I think the Golden Elite is going to get their day in the sun here, but in Chicago with Kenny Omega going to get booed because you're in punk country, or at least punk's town. Uh, I think Jay White beating Kenny Omega, that would be a nice little thing for Jay White to have on the state side. Let Kenny win the international situation, but Jay White wins the home base of AEW, at least in crowd participation for AEW. Let Jay White win there at All Out, so that's my idea with that. Stadium Stampede, Eddie Kingston, Best Friends, and Penta. Going against the Blackpool Combat Club and Proud and Powerful. Uh, this is going to be a toss-up. I don't care which side wins. I think I just want this to be a bloody situation. I think Eddie Kingston being the man that he is and the way that he loved Terry Funk, I think him and John Moxley are going to make sure people bleed to holy high heaven in the stadium stampede. Uh, just to pay tribute to Terry Funk, I could even see Eddie Kingston and John Moxley just throwing blows just in honor of Terry. So, um, do I, if I had to pick a side, like legitimately, I'm going to go with, uh, Blackpool Comic Club and Santana Ortiz because Blackpool Comic Club, they worked together for this past year and they just started to really show their, uh, stride as this, uh, nasty trio that just is all kick-ass, no take name type of, uh, stable, while Santana and Ortiz, they just came back. Santana, after legitimately a year being on the shelf, Ortiz, he's been away for months. It will be a situation for them just to lose his matchup here, but we'll have to wait and see. I'm not putting it past AEW for them to give Eddie Kingston and the best friends and Penta a win here, but for me, I'm going with Blackpool Comic Club and Proud and Powerful. Will Ospreay versus Chris Jericho. Will Ospreay. Simple and easy. Chris Jericho is going to have Fozzie performing uh, Judas. That's going to be a good thing for him. I think him losing to Will Ospreay is going to help Will Ospreay out. And Jericho, he's already at the top, as he said before in his promo with Ospreay on AEW this past week. I think him beating Ospreay would just probably taint his, not career, but just taint the momentum that he is on right now. Because people are going to be like, boo, you could have gave it to Will. So I'm going with Will. CM Punk versus Samoa Joe for the Real World Championship. I'm going with CM Punk. I don't think we're going to have Punk drop the belt to Samoa Joe here. And I think this is going to kind of give some credence into All Out with the following week in Chicago for Punk. So Punk's going to beat Samoa Joe. The World Trios Championships, the House of Black going against Billy Gunn and the Acclaim. I'm going to go with Billy Gunn and the Acclaim. Uh, Billy Gunn and the Acclaim, this is their third time going at it. Billy is going to get this... Uh, championship under his belt. The claim is going to hold the trio championships. I think this might be Billy Gunn's last legitimate run. And I think, again, the most apropos way for Billy to lose the belts, because in the promo that he did against House of Blood this past week, he said that he was fine leaving, but you attack Anthony, you attack Max, my kids, 
I think for the claim and Billy to win the trio championships, I think it would be poetic for them to lose the tag team titles to, well, the trios tag titles the same way that they lost the AEW tag team titles to the guns and let this be an ongoing thing to the end of times. The guns going against the claim all over because of the love of Billy Gunn. I think that would be a great, excellent way. And I think that'd be a great, excellent way to tie everything in yet again. Now, off to the main event for the AEW World Championship, MGF versus Adam Cole. I think this one is going to be a straight-up smash. I think they're going to have at least a good 30 to 45-minute matchup, if anything. Um, but at the end of the day, I think MGF is going to win this. If he doesn't win this, I'm not mad if Adam Cole wins, but I think... AEW will like to continue the story that they were supposed to do last year before the situation between CM Punk and the Young Bucks happened at All Out. And especially with All Out happening next week, I can see CM Punk, again, showing up at the end of All In and just have him facing off with MGF and Punk holding up his title, MGF holding up his title, and we could think we're going to get something at All Out and MGF probably put the kibosh to that. And again, it sets it up for something else, but it makes people want to tune in to Dynamite. So I think that's what's going to happen. And also, I think Roderick Strong and the Kingdom are at least going to play some type of part in the main event right here. Do I think they're going to play a part in the Ring of Honor World Tag Team titles? Maybe if AEW wants to do that, but I think you want to use them for the main event because that's where the real chips and real everything are you going to really like push everything in and really go all in. So... That's where I think it's going to happen at All In, but I will give you guys the review on Monday. That's where I'm going with this. I will give you the review on Monday for All In, so expect that review on Monday. Now, with All In predictions out of the way, it's time for me to do my tributes to Bray Wyatt. I'm not going to really do much one for Terry Funk because Terry Funk, I knew of Terry because of the Legends of Wrestling's uh, video games that came out when I was a kid. I knew of him because of the ECW uh, documentary, uh, The Rise and Fall of ECW, and the way they talked about Terry Funk. I don't know the history so much about Terry, like, predated before he had, like, the goatee and the uh, ponytail. I don't know his time as NWA World Champion. I know his time as ECW Champion. Him working with uh, Mikey Whitbrack, him working with... Uh, God, Steve uh, Raven, and also Stevie Richards, because they were in the triple threat match, because the winner of the triple threat was Terry Funk, Stevie Richards, and one more person going against Raven to finish off ECW's first ever pay-per-view. So I know Terry Funk's uh, deal over there at ECW, and then he came over to WWE for, I believe this is like his second stint. But he started working with Mick Foley there. It was Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie. That was Terry Funk's uh, persona over there in WWF. And they beat the New Age Outlaws at WrestleMania 14 for the WWE World Tag Team Championships. And that is like legitimately my knowledge of Terry Funk. I know a little bit of him doing stuff in WCW. But my knowledge is like legitimately like that of what I just told you about Terry Funk. So I don't want to pay no disrespect to Terry. But I do want to wish this... Uh, Loving ones, all love and light, and everybody that loved Terry Funk from professional friends of him in the business and people that know of him because of his father and his brother 
I wish them nothing but love well. And if you want to know more about Terry Funk, I would suggest you go and listen to uh, Jim Cornette's podcast or Jim Cornette's uh, YouTube page because he talks about Terry Funk and his uh, personal relationship with Terry Funk. So I would suggest you go do that and listen to Jim Cornette give you his uh, tribute to Terry Funk there. But that's all I can give you about Terry Funk, to be honest with you. Now, the man I can talk to you about, and I'm going to spend some time on, is the man himself, the eater of worlds, the genius, Bray Wyatt. We're here. Now, as you hear from him saying we're here, and you hear the undertone music right now, Bray Wyatt came in as Husky Harris, but then he quickly had to go back to NXT, well, FCW down in Florida. Then he started repackaging himself, and then he ended up coming up with this great character persona of Bray Wyatt, the eater of worlds, uh, the Wyatt family. It was him, Eli Cottonwood first, and then it changed over from Eli Cottonwood to Brody Lee and uh, Eric Rowan and those guys came up on the main roster and it was complete bedlam because anytime you heard the we're here blowing of the lantern in the little skizzerk type of sound effect you knew it was about to go down and Bray Wyatt has had a amazing career I mean yes he's had a lot of fumbles at least the WWE creative part they had a lot of fumbles with Bray, but when you look at Bray Wyatt and his totality of what he was able to do in his career in WWE, I'm going to say he's had an gr- amazing career because I'm about to list it for you, at least a good certain parts right here. When he first came in, he makes an impact by destroying Kane with the Wyatt family, and people were chanting for Husky, but by that next week, everybody deaded that Husky Harris chant. Everybody started to embrace the Bray Wyatt chant, the Wyatt family. And Bray Wyatt had a his first ever match on WWE as a Bray Wyatt character in a ring of fire with Kane at SummerSlam. So then you move from that. And then next his next feud was literally, I believe, was against CM Punk. He started to have some beef with Punk around that time. And then it stripped over into him going against Daniel Bryan. They had Daniel Bryan join the Wyatt family all as a ruse. And then you get the famous Bray Wyatt going against Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble. And then once Bray does this, then guess who he's feuding with next? He feuds with the Shield. And by God, that match still holds up to this day. If you look up uh, Elimination Chamber 2014, the Wyatt family versus the Shield, look up the buildup just before they even get to them touching in the ring of that matchup. Look at the segments that they had on Raw and SmackDown, the segments of the Wyatts coming close to touching the Shield or fighting with the Shield. The people was absolute bananas because at the time, Shield and the Wyatt were two of the hottest factions for the WWE. And just to see both factions who were hot as fish grease and that people loved just to see them just go all smash mouth and just wanted to tear each other up. That is what wrestling is all about. You giving the people what they want when you want to see it. And we got to see it at Elimination Chamber. And you got to see the Wyatt family beat the Shield. 
And that still at that time was still a rare feat. You only had a certain select people beating the shield. And the Wyatt family, they were given that go ahead, beat the shield at the Elimination Chamber. And they did it. And that match still holds up to this day. I just watched that a couple of days ago, to be honest. Then after that, what did Bray Wyatt end up going to do? He goes up against John Cena at WrestleMania. And I know everybody's going to say the exact same thing. And I'm going to say the exact same thing. John Cena should not have won that. Bray Wyatt should have won. But hey, it is what it is. But also, you got to think about it. If Bray would have won, we wouldn't have gotten that Firefly Funhound match years later when the pandemic happened. Because John Cena and Bray Wyatt were able to talk technically storyline-wise and character-wise about how him losing to John Cena at WrestleMania 30 affected his career. And you saw the downward slope from Bray Wyatt's side and how that messed with him. And he was able to get John Cena back at WrestleMania in a secluded area, making John Cena relive his own personal hell. So that was the character John Cena's hell, and that was Bray Wyatt's character of getting back at John for WrestleMania 30, that whole, like, debacle. So you got to think about that. If we don't have John Cena beating Bray at WrestleMania 30, we don't technically get the Firefly Funhouse match. So you got to take the good with the bad now when you look at everything in its totality. Then you let some time pass, and then... Guess what? He's, they're not doing nothing with Bray. Then you have them dismember the Wyatt family. Then they come back with the Wyatt family. And now you get another member of the Wyatt family. You add big Braun Strowman. Now you have this big four just man unit of just nothing but monsters and just absolute chaos. And it would just rain just down. I mean, dude, the Wyatt family were just monsters completely. But once you take that away... Now Bray has to start all over again. Okay, cool. He's able to swim a little bit, and then he does the uh, final deletion. Not final deletion, the ultimate deletion with Matt Hardy. That was entertaining on Raw. Yes, it was not like Impact, but they were able to do something. And guess what? Out of that, we get the magic of Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy, the deleter of worlds. They had a nice little fun run, and Matt got to team up with Bray. Bray got to team up with Matt. You got to see them at least have fun on TV. They get to become world tag team champions. Then after that, what do we do next? Oh, yes. Oh, no. Backtracking. We had Bray ultimately wins the WWE Championship. He wins the championship at Elimination Chamber. And I just watched that clip of people were chanting Bray's name. You, They were chanting, you deserve it. They were just chanting Bray. They were so happy that we got to see Bray get to become the top star, get to become the WWE champion because we all wanted Bray to succeed. We all saw how much Bray was putting into this. We all saw how much the man behind the Bray Wyatt character was putting into this character to make it succeed. And I forgot to even mention, going back a year, you have Bray Wyatt on his own. And what's he doing in the build-up to WrestleMania 31? He's trying to call out The Undertaker. And John Cena has admitted this on an interview, that whenever you are just calling out The Undertaker and he is not there, it's all on, to, it's all on you to sell this matchup for you to go against Taker in front of the people. It was all up for you to make people care about this matchup. John Cena has said, it was hard. It was hard for John, a man that is a master, that is a maestro of the mic. He has admitted that it was hard for it that that because you need two people to build up a match, but it was only just him 
it was hard for him. So imagine Bray Wyatt. He still technically new on the main roster. This is his about, what, second year on the roster? And he's tasked with, A, make your match with Undertaker be important. Oh, yeah, you're not going to see Undertaker until WrestleMania. The fans isn't going to see Undertaker to WrestleMania. Make it important. In which Bray Wyatt did. Bray was able to make that match become important. He was able to make people want to see Taker go against Bray. And as a matter of fact, we wanted Taker to lose to Bray so Bray could become the new face of fear to be this new generation's Undertaker the way that Undertaker was for freaking two decades. Just being the dead man. We wanted Bray Wyatt to be that new dead man. And, hey, the cars lay what they lay. It is what it is. And then... Years fast forward, I already talked about him teaming up with Matt. I already talked about him becoming WWE champion. Now, guess what? Bray is staggering. We all try to figure out, okay, what's going on with Bray? What's going on? No, They're not using him right way. So guess what Bray decides to do? Bray says, you know what? I'm going to reinvent myself. I'm going to dip off and I'm going to show you guys the character that I have been laying dormant, technically, and talking to you guys about for some years time in promo and I'm going to show you guys the fiend but before I do so I'm going to come back at the exact same time with another character that is a Mr. Rogers s character but a demented side of Mr. Rogers you know what I mean Mr. Rogers is able to teach you guys these lovely like <laughs> lessons Bray Wyatt is teaching you something else with this Mr. Rogers scenario before he pops out and becomes the fiend and by god the fiend it was something different it was something that made you really look at the screen when you first saw him the first time you see his entrance SummerSlam him versus uh Finn Balor in 2019 you could still go to that freaking match to this day and you see how much the people cared about Bray Wyatt, seeing the fiend, seeing the entrance. People were chanting, this is awesome. People were embracing Bray Wyatt. And the to let you know how important that entrance is, Johnny Gargano, in the back, whenever WWE was doing this whole, uh, I believe it was their own watch party backstage, and they would show it up on their YouTube you had guys from NXT being in the watch party. You had different people. But Johnny Gargano is the most notable one. He literally sat there like a kid and just had his eyes like glued to the television, not saying nothing, just soaking it all in. That tells you when you got a person that you work with in the back and they're just mesmerized by what you do in that ring, that tells you that you have something special. And Bray Wyatt, he's always had something special. I'm not going to call the man Wyndham Rotundo because I don't know that man personally. I know the character. I know the person that we've seen on television for almost a straight-up solid decade. We've seen what he's able to do. We've seen how much the man behind the character cared about his craft. I wish I could have known the man, but hey, it is what it is, right? Only thing I can say is that, man, it's going to be hard for someone to not gonna say fill his shoes but the creativity that Bray Wyatt had the creativity that the man behind the Bray Wyatt character had it was next level it was something that we haven't seen in such a long time and once Bray Wyatt got released 
from the WWE. I don't know how long you guys, some of you guys have been with me from 2021. Some of you guys were with me uh, after, like in 2022 or even this year. Um, I was shocked, dumbfounded, just like the rest of the world when Bray Wyatt got released. That was literally, if you look at all of everyone that got released, I think Bray Wyatt was everybody's like, how in all God's hell do you let go of a talent like that, that is creative like that, that is making you buku dollars with the Fiend character persona? How are you letting him go? That was always something that nobody understood, and I don't think to this day nobody will ever understand how WWE let Bray Wyatt go. But they did. And then last year, Bray Wyatt, he's coming back. It's been reported. It's been just rumored and speculation and everything. And what happens? In the buildup to Extreme Rules, there would be times where fans will be in the arena on a SmackDown, and maybe even a Raw, maybe, that when it's all commercial break, you will hear White Rabbit playing in the auditorium in that arena and people were just going what the hell is this what's going on and then you start seeing little uh <laughs> puppets of sister abigail porky huskis the pig i mean just little characters just pop up in the background here and there and then next thing you know you start getting these cryptic qr codes popping up on tv WWE and Bray Wyatt had this thing laid out, mapped out for everyone to follow the clues of this big puzzle to let everyone know that Bray Wyatt is coming back. And I remember vividly saying, Ayo, dog, if Bray Wyatt is coming back at Extreme Rules, it's going to be great, but I'm not going to hold it. I'm going to just wait. And boy, when the last cryptic clue was, it was something that was so synonymous with Bray, I say, okay, Bray's coming back, and everybody was tuned into Extreme Rules to see Bray Wyatt come back, that was the ticket, that was what everybody was paying for last year at Extreme Rules, what is going to happen when Bray Wyatt comes back, and usually, here's the power, and here's the magic that Bray Wyatt had, usually when someone debuts, or re-debuts back, they usually come back, and they usually attack someone, and that's how they send the crowd home happy. This instance, that didn't happen. Bray Wyatt, he comes back after a uh, fight pit or whatever you want to call it between Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle, refereed by Daniel Cormier. The lights go out. We get this big theater-esque uh, situation where a spotlight will hit different areas of the arena and you'll have a big like adult version of each of Bray Wyatt's puppets. And then you will see a fiend right there in an area. And the next thing you know, we'll get a glimpse of the background. We'll see the Firefly Funhouse all ashy, all dirty, all just dusty. And then next thing you know, it goes directly to the screen. It starts flashing something. And then next thing you know, we go right back to the stage. There's a door there everybody's waiting, everybody's waiting, you can just feel it in the arena from your television screen, and then once the door kicks in, and Bray Wyatt comes out, he has the lantern, and everybody is 
jumping. Everybody's going crazy. Everybody's happy to see Bray Wyatt. And everybody is just so great. Bray Wyatt, you can't even hear Bray Wyatt say, I'm here. You can't even hear it because the arena is so deafening that they are just so happy to see someone that they care about so much be back in a place that they know that he cares about too. And you just see the pay-per-view go off with him saying, I'm here, but you can't hear it. He blows out his um, lantern and it just goes directly to his new symbol and that's it. You don't hear people online complaining, saying, oh my God, that's how they end the pay-per-view. Or da-da-da. No, people are congratulating Bray Wyatt for being back. People are congratulating WWE on the great job that they did with laying out the Easter egg and laying out the plan for Bray Wyatt. You hear people just be happy that Bray is here. And we are waiting now for Bray to speak. And we get Bray speaking. And the first time that he speaks back, it is him basically being himself. And he... We get a peek of the man, legitimately the man, Wyndham Rotunda being in the ring, saying that he is nervous being here. He didn't know that he, if he was going to be back here, but the love that he has felt from all of us and the love that we gave him and he gave us, you just feel that it is reciprocated. You just feel all that magic right there. It was something different. It was something so great. That now we will never get to experience again. Because this creative genius, this man, this guy is gone so suddenly. And now you have a wife that doesn't have a husband. You have kids that don't have a father no more. You have a brother that's missing a brother now. You have a father that's missing a son. Bray Wyatt is no longer here but me as a fan I'm glad for what he was able to lay out for everyone to see he was able to lay out a great masterpiece whether you agree with things that happen in Bray Wyatt's professional career and I understand certain things as fans we hate it to death we hate it we loathe Certain things not going our way and certain things not going our way for the performers because we are saying, how in the hell are you screwing up on this performer? What do you not see that we see? What What is it? We have that tendency. But from everybody saying from the tweets, Bray Wyatt, the man behind the character, he was all about having fun. He was all about being a student of the craft. He was all about perfecting his craft and... I think when time has really passed and we get out of this sorrow phase that a lot of the people that in the wrestling world are still in because of the sudden passing of Bray Wyatt, I think we're all going to be able to really look at Bray Wyatt's whole career and we're going to be able to realize that he actually did have a good career. All in all, from the ups to the downs, to the highs to the lows, to the frequency up and down, I think people are going to say, you know what? Even though he didn't win a lot of matches, because that was a thing that people would do with the statistics. Bray Wyatt didn't win a lot of matches in the pay-per-views. He's lost a lot. I think when you look at from the character record for what he was able to deliver, I think people want to say, you know what? He had a great career, and there would never be another person like a Bray Wyatt. There won't be. Because you know what? He was a genius. He was a man that was able to 
reinvent himself and also help out the wrestling world, trying to help them reinvent themselves at the same time. So um, I was glad to just be alive to witness this and be around to see greatness on my television screen. I'm glad that I've seen it. I'm glad that his friends got to be around him for the time that they were able to be around him. I am um, saddened for his family. I'm saddened for his friends. I'm saddened for the rest of the fans that are still feeling this. But we as a wrestling community, we as people, we shall overcome our sorrows. We will be better than what we were the day before. And we will continue to forge on and I believe, in all honesty, I think that the man behind the character Bray Wyatt would want his family and friends to continue to forge on. And I think the man behind the character would want everyone to continue to watch the product and just be fans of the business that he was in, that he was able to um, help revolutionize and change and leave a great indent for a better future and make the business better than what it was before he came in. So before I get out of here, as I said, um, I have a Sunday episode coming out tomorrow, as usual, for the Sunday news. And you guys will be getting your all-in pay-per-view review on Monday. So to take us out, we're going to have Bray Wyatt talking to us one last time as he was leaving NXT and going up to the main roster, but... I feel that this was the perfect way to really end this episode. So with that, Bray, take us home. I got something to say. There are several different types of men in this world. There are men who dream and never make it off their couch. There are men who dream and fail. And then there are men who dream and change the landscape of this world. People like Bray Wyatt. But what about you, man? That's what I want to know. Aren't you tired of feeling unwanted? Aren't you tired of feeling like an outcast or being stepped upon? Well, then today is your day. Because today is the day that Bray Wyatt decided he was going to change everything. Today is the day that hell froze. Today is the day that pigs fly. Today, me and my people looked at fear right in the eye and we said, Mr. Fear, sir, you are a liar. Today, I want you to go and I want you to tell all these so-called world leaders that they better heed my warning. Take notice to Bray Wyatt. Because today is the day that Bray Wyatt decided to bring down the machine. Today, we say goodbye to NXT. For now. But if you need me, I ain't hard to find. All you gotta do is go look up in the sky and follow the buzzer. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 one more thing. Time.